Hello and welcome to the podcast with your host myself, Graham Reed, Chris Comston and Antonia Landy. In this episode, we are going to be exploring the roots of product operations, why it has always been here and why now is the time to start taking it seriously. We hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, welcome everybody to the Product Operations Chronicles, Product Ops Chronicles, with myself, Graham Reed, uh, and my co-host and fellow Product pals, Antonia Landy and Chris Comston. In this episode today, we are going to examine how a Product Ops professional can best support their business, uh, and more specifically, their product teams and product leadership. We'll discuss both the strategic elements that focus on partnering with leadership for holistic improvement and goals, and the tactical work that's to simply get things done and support teams with their finer needs. Antonia, Chris, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me again. (laughs) Thanks, Graham. No problem. So let's um, let's dive straight in. Um, The first first piece here um, I'd really like to talk about is... um, what are the the more what are the more holistic actions and goals uh, that, that that support product leadership? Um, on the last episode, we we talked a little bit about kind of supporting those teams, but actually, how are we supporting product leadership, um, and why is why is that important? You know, I'll just open it up to the floor. Yeah, I mean, I can I can jump in. Let's get this going. Um, Look, I mean, I think the fact of the matter is that product leadership is a really, um, it's a slightly ambiguous term, but it's also a really challenging role to have, right? Like, it's certainly with the organizations I've worked with, a product leader is asked to do many, many things. And I think that can be super challenging. And having a partner there that can really focus on how the product org as a whole op- uh, as a whole operates, how it's linking in with the other functions, engineering leadership, design leadership, research leadership, how it works with partners, business partners across the organization. Just having someone there that can can help and support um, what a product leader needs to do as they think about the product and its evolution and its customers and how that's aligning to business needs um, can be super powerful. Um, And I think going along the topic of like strategic partnership versus tactical product team assistant. And again, I, I think we mentioned this last time, we we have our own experiences of this role um, and they're, they're quite different and they're certainly different to other people as well. The way that I've managed that is to be a strategic leader because I'm trying to enable the whole product talk rather than, because um, in most cases um, I've been um, a team of, of one or a team of one at least over a, a certain number of product teams, very hard to get into the tactical and you only have incremental improvement when you're in that tactical level. That With, uh, with a more established and larger organization with more product ops people, may be beneficial but it's just not the experiences i've had yeah i think for me the what it comes down to is really the fact that we in product operations actually do also have that holistic overview right so it complements product leadership very well but i think on the other hand we also have some skills like facilitation like good communication that can really amplify what product leadership is already doing right so let's take a very concrete example like if you have an okr setting process and you as a product leader need to get to group together make sure everybody's on time make sure everybody knows what we're talking about but at the same time also be inside the subject matter and co-define these okrs it's almost like a conflict of interest right and once you have 
that strategy, you want to make sure that people know it. You want to make sure that it's reflected in all of the right places. You want to make sure that when you talk about an initiative, people know what the goals are, what the success criteria are, right? And I think we're in such a good position to inject all of the strategic work and that strategic thinking into the everyday life. And I think for me, that is such a big, big draw to the role of product ops. Yeah, just to add to and to follow on from that, Graham, but I guess before you jump in, mm. that's an interesting concept and it's an interesting um, kind of analogy that you use from a facilitation point of view because you always want your best people. If we just take that analogy a little bit further, if you're facilitating a, facilitating a workshop, regardless of what it's on, you want your best people in the room with their thoughts about the subject matter rather than yeah. on the sidelines thinking, okay, how do we structure this workshop? What do right. what activities might we have during? And then not putting their all into to thinking about the content. So it's a really interesting analogy. Just as a side note uh, on, on this, uh, and literally just something that's popped in, into my head, um, you know, we've talked a lot about kind of being in the uh, you know, really in the finer detail of what the product teams are doing, how they're operating, uh, how the wider business is operating, et cetera, et cetera. How important is it to um, be in the finer detail of the actual product itself, as in, you know, really know the product that the uh, business is, is using or the, even the service that the business is using, is operating, is selling, um, compared to the product manager. So product managers have to be so deeply ingrained, you know, in, in that product, in that service to know their users. How important is it for product operations to be as deeply ingrained in that? I mean, I typically call product ops a fairly industry agnostic discipline because I don't think like as a product ops manager myself or a product ops leader, whatever role I had in the past, of course, I knew about the product. I knew, you know, our our customer base, our users. I knew what we were going after, but I I never went deep into things like market research, for example, right? And I think it's there's a limit to how useful that is. I think there are some um, companies where you do need to do that, especially when it comes to heavily regulated industries, right? Like if you work in a fintech company and you're doing product ops, you really need to understand the regulations because you also need to bake those into how the product is being made, right? So that you are you think about those as early as possible. Um, so I think there are nuances to this, but broadly speaking, I've found it to be fairly product agnostic, to be honest. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think if I look back over my experiences and how I became who I am today in, in the role that I have, actually having a variety of experiences has been super useful. And I've worked in, in, in fintech and I've worked in retail and I've worked in energy. Uh, I mean, my last two roles are in luxury fashion and online dating, neither of which I'm particularly experienced at. Um, I, I think there might be something to say for um, having a little bit more of a niche. I'm not sure. Maybe... Um, a product ops practitioner that has had mostly B2C type roles uh, in mm -hmm. those types of companies mm -hmm. might be slightly different to B2B. I actually still think the best kind of product ops practitioners are the ones that are still able to take themselves out of that anyway, because we're really focused on how an org operates. But there might be some nuances there. 
And particularly with the highly regulated, like Antonia said, um, I talked to my partner a lot about cybersecurity because that's where they work. And the, the focus in that area is, is super interesting for me from a from an operational perspective, but they're, they're their users are internal, their users are software engineers, and they're in the cybersecurity industry. And I'm thinking maybe the way I might operate in that kind of role with those kind of teams might be slightly different, although I'd probably say about 60 70% probably the same as how I operate with any business. It's really interesting. Um, you know, my, my former role was cybersecurity as well. Um, and, you know, I... I didn't come from a cybersecurity background into the role. And actually, um, you know, I get a lot about what it's all about. Uh, I, I, I get, you know, we were heavily involved in pen testing, for example, of other people's services. I know what that's all about. I know how it works. Uh, I know the sorts of things that we do. Um, could I could I talk with authority on it like a product one of our product managers would have done? No. Um, but actually, I certainly didn't feel like I needed to because, um, it was a software platform like many other B2B software platforms. And I'm really glad, um, you know, you made that distinction in that, yes, there is there is advantages between B2B and B2C um, uh, of having that kind of background because they are they are different, um, not as different as I, as I think some, uh, you know, particularly hiring managers, recruiters, people that try to make it out to be. I really don't believe in that. But there are the differences that will make it important from an operational perspective um so i you know i i i really do agree with kind of what we've said here i think i think what i would say is like an overarching thought of mine is we need to understand enough to understand the challenges of the people mm. in the product org, and that's that's yeah. like good enough if we understand the customer enough and what their customers are trying to achieve and how our product teams are doing things for those customers and driving value enough is is probably good enough yeah yeah and i think just just going back to what we briefly mentioned earlier right about you know, product ops enabling strategy or enabling product leadership to do a great job. I think there's sometimes also a misconception that product ops wants to co-define these things. And I think it's very, very important to point out that we are facilitators, we are enablers, right? We enable those important conversations to happen and we make sure that everybody understands the end result that has. But I'm like very much my the first thing I tell people, like with every new engagement is like, I'm not here to define product strategy. I'm not here mm -hmm. to define product work. I'm not going to tell you what to build. That is entirely up to you. I'm giving you the support structure you need to do great work. Right. But, and this is true for PMs as it is true for product leaders. You need to make those decisions, right? This is what you were hired for. I'm just here to make sure you have all of the information you need to do that well. Yeah, it's about ensuring high quality decision making, right? And everything yeah. we do is to lead towards that. And that can be from a product leadership perspective, maybe a product strategy perspective, but also within the product teams themselves. Like when we talk about streamlining data so that the teams have those insights to hand, that's so they can make high quality decisions, not so yeah. that we can make the decisions for them. I was talking just recently about part of this about this kind of this idea of really unblocking um not just unblocking leadership but unblocking the entire team from uh you know the initiatives that the that leadership wants to put out um and an analogy that i you know quite often use is okay so leadership product leadership has said look we want to really change the way that we do for example discovery okay 
lovely. They they have this idea, they have this initiative they want to put down. Um, and so product leadership, we already know, and I think we've already established certainly last time as well, that product leadership, you know, they are busy. They have a lot of things on their plate. They have a lot of focus around, you know, that strategy, that um, uh, leading those teams, the line management side, dealing with the board, dealing with the rest of the C-suite, being that evangelist for uh, the product. So they've got a lot of stuff to do. It's a full-time job on its own. So now they want to say, look, okay, we want an initiative out. We want to change the way we do discovery. We want to be much more intentional about it. We want to be much more structured with it. Great. Um, so what do they then do? Do they then spend the time in organizing everything that needs to happen? Could do, but then they're not doing their product leadership pieces because it's a lot of work to put that out. Or do they put this down to their product teams to kind of essentially self-organize with this, um, even through you know directors and, 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 mm. and group leads and things like that? Okay, they could do. But there's no one then that has that holistic overview of how we're going to do this, how we're going to structure all of this. So we'll have some teams doing it. We'll have some teams not doing it. We'll have some that will contact every single customer. Some will contact the same customer over and over again. Some that will keep it in a Google Word doc. Some will put it into a database. We're, it's, it's already starting to be a mess. And so actually, you know, in my mind, you know, product operations takes that idea and says, right, how, what's the logistics of this? How? Are we going to go and do this this particular initiative? Where's the data going to be stored? What data are we collecting? What customers are we contacting? When are we contacting them? How often? Who, which customers from which segments are we going to be uh, you know talking to? How are we going to record all of this down? We're not talking about what we're researching. We're not talking about the analysis of you know what is collected and what decisions come out of that. We're literally setting up that framework to say, okay. Let's go and do it in this nice, good, structured, ordered way. And nobody, and potentially nobody else, is going to pick that particular piece up until it's so many more steps down the line. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is like the biggest case to make for product operations, right? Like exactly like you said, this initiative, it absolutely might happen at an organization without product operations. But then either the product leader is doing it and they're not doing stuff they should be doing, right? Or this thing is incredibly fragmented, or let's be honest, it never really happens, right? I think the third option is the one we see most often, where somebody uh, somewhere in the organization has this fantastic idea of, hey, let's become more product-led, let's become more customer-centric. Everybody agrees, everybody's enthusiastic, and then it just fizzles out, because it's nobody's full-time job to actually do that. Yeah, I think um, we have to take a step back and have a think about how product leaders become product leaders. So I think um, my expectation is that a product leader has really strong product discovery um, capabilities. And as they progress throughout their career, um, they try and distill that those kind of thoughts across their teams. And again, like using those words that Antonio used before, like facilitating, enabling, I think if you have a specific person that can partner with the leadership to understand what really good product discovery might look like in this organization with this uh, set of customers, these teams, how it's set up, et cetera, um, is really, again, really powerful. I don't think uh, product 
ops are going to come in and go, right, we've got an amazing product discovery process and we're going to embed it now into this team and all the teams are going to follow it. We all know through change management, that's not really going to take hold anyway. Um, and to be honest, it's just going to annoy people, as particularly people in product leadership who have got to that level because they are experienced and they have those capabilities. And I think coming back to the, you know, the topic of this is we should be partnering with those directors of product, VPs, CPOs, to understand their prior experiences, let's use product discovery as the example still, those prior experiences at their other organizations, what went well, what didn't go so well, to form um, an understanding of how we might do it at this organization, and then to, of course, slowly iterate and implement that out with the with, with um, the thought processes of the people and the teams that are doing this work, uh, not just the product managers, the whole product team. Um, and I, I, again, I keep coming back to what Antonia said, which was the facilitation of those thoughts. We are not coming along and going, right, clearly product leadership are not capable of doing this. I'm sure they would be if they spent 100% of their time really focused on doing it. We're going to come in, we're going to take and distill all that information and create something that we can experiment and iterate with that will be really powerful because we're using everyone's minds. I want to come back to that thing again, is that um, firstly, on this on this kind of same analogy, we are absolutely not saying that uh, anybody has failed, anybody has messed, has missed anything, anybody has messed up. You know, the, the fact is that product leaders in particular, who are the ones that kind of are setting these things out for their teams, it's not, these are not sort of things that can kind of be homegrown, uh, bottom up sort of approaches to this, because it, it doesn't work in that way, especially across large, organiz uh, large organizations and large numbers of teams. These people, you know, these leaders are busy people. You know, they really are. And, and I think a lot of the work that they do is, is quite often so unnoticed. And I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I thought that as well for a long time. You know, I think, what are these, what, what, are, the, what are the CPOs and, and VPs, what are they actually doing day in and day out? But actually, there's a lot of work that goes in behind the scenes. There's a lot of strategy and there's an inordinate amount of time that is spent dealing with boards, uh, C-suite, uh, you know, colleagues, uh, parts of the rest of the business. So these important things are not being missed because people are failing. They are being missed because they just don't have the time. Um, and this is about giving, uh, putting a function in place that allows those things to still happen and allow them to focus on what is important. And this is no different to the reason that Product Ops exists for the ICs uh, and the people doing the, you know, the grunt work on the ground it's making sure that they can focus and have the time to do the job that we really pay them for to do their job properly as well. Is, is it worth raising or, or bringing this kind of conversation um, along the lines of uh, the, the types of organizations that might think mm. that product operations is valuable and some that might not, might mm. not see it? Because again, like I think if we we probably mentioned this last time and in many discourse anyway, but when, an organization is in startup mode. Um, mm. Maybe it is the case where head of product or product leads or, or probably the one product person that's in the startup is formatting and understanding what product discovery, to use that example again, might look like and get the team moving as quickly as possible. I think what we're talking about here is in those organizations that are scaling um, and are probably scaling quite quite rapidly and need to get on moving with their product discovery um, where the most senior product person can't actually spend the time to do that. So I think it's worth like bringing that concept back because as you were talking then, Graham, I can, I can hear the voices of some of the heads of product or product leads I've worked with in the past that say, but should I not be defining yeah. what product discovery looks like for my area? 
And as soon as they say that, I'm like, well, yeah, of course, um, and I can help you to do that. But at the same time, your area is not the only area. There's six or seven or eight or ten other areas that are all doing it. And there's a degree of creativity and flexibility we should allow those areas to operate because usually areas of product have different focuses and they have different customers and they have different teams and people, of course, and they might even be across different areas of the business and the way they they operate in product discovery and, and many other aspects may be quite different. And that's okay that the flexibility and creativity is all right, but at a certain level, to understand how the product org is operating from a business perspective, to understand how we're achieving what we need for customers so it actually lines up to something that's strategic for the business, we need to get a good understanding of how things are operating um, at a slightly higher level. Um, and again, I think just thinking about it from an organizational scale perspective is, is, is something we probably should raise. Yeah, I think um, another dimension here is that, honestly, I mean, I feel this with IC PMs as well, but I think, honestly, in the last, I don't know, decade, 15 years, like product leadership has become a nearly impossible job to do because you just cannot do it all on your own right and i think there is almost a little i don't know a little worry a little trend that if i am a product leader and i say i need help with this let's hire somebody in product ops that the implication is like oh so you just couldn't do it all on your own right it's like sometimes you hear like all oh, these working mothers, they have to do it all. They need to, you know, be an ace at work, but also need to be the most caring and present mother. Um, and also, you know, be a wife and take care of the household and all of these things. And I think to a certain extent, product leadership has become the same thing. Like you need to be like this strategic powerhouse, but you also need to be able to coach your team members and make sure that they progress. But at the same time, you need to take the product to the next level. And it's like you can't do it all. You cannot be proficient at all of these different things right and just let us help you like let us facilitate let us make sure that you even ask yourself the right questions right it's like chris said like we're not there to to do these things for you like there needs to be a degree of autonomy and and creativity that goes into this but at the end of the day having this frame right? Having this operating system of how product work gets done will enable you to get to that next level. Yeah. I've, I've written about this recently, just, just, to, just to that point, Antonio, before uh, Graham, I pass over to you is um, if you're an organization that's expecting you to spend 50% or more of your time, not focused on customers and what the business needs, because they expect you to be doing a lot of other things in the background, uh, if you're at that kind of organization, they're not really valuing you as a, as a product person who wants to become a product leader. Uh, if you're at an organization that values you so much that they're allowing you the space and time to th- focus on your customers by hiring someone in product operations or building a product operations function, um, that is an organization that really values you and your time. And that's a great place to be because you are going to progress as a, as a product manager, you're going to pro- progress very, very quickly through the organization because you're doing things they expect you to do, which is serve customers and um, achieve what the business is looking for. If you're spending 60% of your time not doing that, then you're not going to be progressing as quickly as you hoped. Uh, another piece that, you know, that comes to mind, just certainly Antonio, you were just talking there as well. Um, 
another thing that add, adds to this idea of that partner with uh, with leadership is facilitating, yes, enabling, yes, but also uh, playing devil's advocate at times to you know things that are happening. Uh, we're not experts in what is being done. We're not experts in the products, uh, the market, and things like that. We are experts in helping people to to do better, you know, those teams to do better, to do more, to be more efficient. Um, and something that I've had quite a bit degree of success with and, 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 and promote quite a lot is this idea of being devil's advocate to product teams, product leaders um, in, in being there, being part of a meeting, being part of a strategy um, and asking the right questions. And I'm asking the right questions. Not to trip people up. I'm not asking the right questions to uh, show what I know. I'm not asking the right questions to, um, you know, uh, derail anything or take it in a certain direction. I'm asking the, these, these certain questions to make sure that actually the right things are being done. Uh, you know, have we looked at the data? Have we done enough discovery? Have we gone out and asked customers about this? Have we looked at our capacity? I'm sure we have. And if the answer back is, yeah, we have. We just haven't got to it. Great. I'm almost sitting here with a checklist of things. Have we talked about this in this meeting or this strategy session? Um, at the same time, if we haven't, for whatever reason, oh, yeah, do you know what? Let's go and do it. It's a good point. We've forgotten. We haven't done, done this particular piece yet. That's also great. I want to make sure these things are done. I'm not blaming anybody for this. I'm looking to make sure that we are doing these right things so that actually people are accountable. We are being responsible. We are doing the right things and we are making those right checks and balances happen. And this then bleeds into a little bit of one of the complaints we sometimes hear, I think potentially more from teams than leadership, which is, oh, you're just going to come in and put process in place. It's going to be process, process, process. We're going to be drowning in process. No, I'm not trying to do that at all. Yes, process will be put in place. But actually in this particular scenario, I'm looking just to ensure that the processes we've already got in place, we're actually following, we're actually doing, because we've put them in place for a particular reason. You might not see it right there, but actually further afield, more holistically, there are good reasons for doing this. Um, and I'm just, just interested in just what, what, what do you think about that idea of, 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 of being in that position of not only partnership, but playing that devil's advocate role at times? Yeah, absolutely. And I think like it's almost like an accountability buddy for the organization, yeah. right? It's almost like holding up a mirror to people and saying, well, we said this was important. Is this still important? Because sometimes our actions don't reflect that. But I think it, it also goes further. Like when we talk about product ops strategy, right? And I really mean like, what will we do in the next year in product operations to make sure our organization gets to the next level? And that very first conversation, well, what is the next level? What kind of organization do we want to be? A lot of the time, I have this with product leaders and they go like, I don't know, better at product. And it's like, okay, concretely, what does that mean for us, right? And just having those conversations is so instrumental in understanding where we want to go and how we're going to reach that. And, you know, what's the difference in skills and capabilities between our desired end state and where we are today? And I think it's really like, it's it's almost like an internal coach, right? Or an internal mm. consultant at that point. You're holding up a mirror to the rest of the organization and saying, this is how we operate today. Do we want to continue operating this way? 
Mm, yeah, I mean, it's interesting listening to both of those um, points you raised because I think you're coming at slightly different angles. Um, mm. And I, I think from a like Graham's perspective, it's almost being like a, a voice in the room as product development is happening to kind of ask those questions of have we made sure not from a due diligence perspective, we've done everything we need before we like launch a product or as we're building it. And then from Antonia's perspective, it's more um, asking the right questions about where the organization is going and what evolution of this org looks like from an operating perspective. Um, and I think both of those places, and this is where the blurred line comes with product operations, because if you hire someone that is relatively experienced in overall good product development and has a variety of experiences to call upon, you can kind of inject them in the room as another good, strong leadership voice in there, like Graham was saying, to ask the right kind of questions. Take an operational perspective on that. Um, you can certainly produce, um, I would say from my perspective, less about process, more about the framework of discourse, right? Like how do you mm. make sure you're asking the right questions at each stage? And as a, as a, you know, generic product leader in the room, you can make sure that your enabling and coaching others by asking those questions and helping the conversation to move along. Um, and from an operational perspective, you can certainly put in a framework. We did this at Farfetch and it was really successful of, I think we had five questions that every, um, product team had to answer before they move forward. Like, why are we doing this piece of work? Like what customer are we focused on? What does success look like? Not from a metric perspective, but from a customer behavior change perspective mm -hmm. and putting that in place. And it, it felt a little bit at the time, a bit over-processed. It was like, why do we have to put a framework in to ask the right questions? And it, it felt a bit awkward. Over time, the framework slowly disappeared because we we're already asking those questions. It was part of our normal discourse. The way that we wrote our documentation included the answers, even though not specifically to those questions. So introducing that kind of framework, I think, is is very useful. Um, the and, and to kind of like Antonio's point, I, I think, again, you are like the way that I've always acted anyway. And again, it may be just based on our experiences and maybe others have a different kind of viewpoint, but... I have been an internal coach. I want to be in the room and to bounce ideas around and be like, look, there's different ways we can go with this. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Uh, tell me your experiences, where we might go. And that is being the internal coach to, to leadership. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's just interesting listening to the both the perspective there because asking the right questions is coming across in different ways. I think there's a really interesting piece that you've um, actually quite well explained and described there is – now, when we're, we're now suddenly talking about um, improvement. We're talking about um, not process improvement. We're talking about, you know, uh, improvement of the entire product function um, and how product operations actually does support that. Um, and in fact, both of you said, Santonio started down, down this road as well. You know, we do, we do put things in place. We do put processes in place. And yeah, no, no one necessarily wants the process. I've worked with so many people that kind of, in really like the process. They love the idea of putting things in place and they can see the improvement of that. And I've worked with plenty of people that will go like, oh, more process, don't want to do process. Can I just do it in my own way and things like that? Okay, that's all great. On the day, on that week. But how are we improving the whole product function? How are we going to look in six months summer? Are we going to be doing exactly the same things that we're doing today? And maybe that's great. But that's, you know, leadership wants to be pushing these things forward. We want to be more efficient. We want to be better. We want to be looking at more of the data. We want to be looking at more of the discovery. We want to be doing more, 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 more. And the only way we can do that is to improve. And so 
we're putting these things in place to help them. And Chris, you then touched upon that, which is something I, I lo- love the idea of this and always have is embed, starting to embed this subconsciously embedding these new ways of doing things. It's a five-step process, a 10-step process. We ask these questions and we'll do that. And then actually suddenly people are asking these questions by themselves without looking at a checklist, without looking at a confluence page, without writing these things down per se, we're doing them. Um, and there's a great there's a great thing about that is that we're improving, we're improving the craft of product management without people even necessarily realizing it. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a few things in there. In fact, there's quite a lot in there to dig into, I think. And uh, I think we would probably end up having quite good... Uh, I was it to use the word discourse rather than debate because it's just a conversation, right? Um, I'm constantly thinking about what the difference is between improvement and optimization. Mm-hmm. Like, because optimization, and just from a terminology perspective, seems to me more about understanding that we're doing some good now and how we might optimize that to be even better in the future. Um, and again, like a lot of the work that I've tried to do is about amplifying good. Um, you know, product organizations aren't um, bad per se, but they, you know, as we all evolve, we need to change. And actually, I wrote down something else is that um, an organization cannot continue to operate at the same level all the time. Now, that's not just a scaling perspective. That's a perspective of customers change, market changes, the business pivots, the business changes its focus, um, market habits change, and the org should change along with that as well. So there needs to be a degree of flexibility um, in the way that we do product development, which leads me on to uh, less around process like process almost is like the tactical output of understanding how we operate as a product org and what practices we have uh, what principles we have around how we build our things uh, and a process might be an output we we might really need a process for certain thing like you know if, if we want to get really into the tactical like how do we use confluence and jira together that's just a process thing and to be honest that's not going to it's not going to add value to the customers at the end. It might make things a little clearer internally, but it's not going to add value to the customers, which I'm, I'm always trying to think in this in this way. Um, so, yeah, it's just, just some of those things in there. Like, um, I think we could probably debate for, for hours, <laughs> hours on end about some of this stuff as well. I mean, okay, I'm just going to have to say it. Like, process is not a dirty word. There is nothing wrong with doing something you have to do continuously the same way because it makes things comparable it makes them predictable right and everybody knows what to expect at the end of it there is like nothing wrong the boring with work right i used to say this uh, with teams previously like let us do the boring stuff and we'll apply the process you don't have to and maybe you can even automate some of it and that's going to make your life even better yeah i mean as somebody who before i even knew how deeply embedded i was in operations i was working in startups sort of being the first QA person to come along. And what I had to do was I had to create processes around how we tested the products that we were creating. And it's like, I wasn't even allowed to utter the word process in any given startup because people would automatically throw up their hands. It's like, oh, we don't want processes. We just want to get things done. It's like, great, let us do things better. (laughs) Let us get things done better in a way that makes it more predictable, more comparable, et cetera, et cetera. There is nothing wrong with process. And I very much resist the idea that we need to give in to people that hate process just from the get-go, right? 
But there's, I think but, it's the same as, as frameworks, right? Like um, we introduce frameworks to structure conversation. The framework does not solve the problem. Right. Like the process doesn't solve the problem. It actually sure. just expediates um, actually probably identifying other problems. And it helps people to understand what they're supposed to be doing. But it doesn't solve the problem. And it's the same in my mind as, as how we use frameworks. We should introduce them. And again, going back to Graham's point around the questions, like having a question framework is good because eventually it dis- disappears and people just have yeah. been um, have been kind of coached through into a, a new like mindset of how we do product. Sorry, Graham, go ahead. No, 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 no. You've raised a great point now. Um, what I was going to say was I'm just going to come back to something that, that Antonio's just said there, which I think is so important. Um, we've we've touched, and we don't need to open this conversation up now because there is lots and lots of opinion and debate on this about when when product operations as a role. Because I think last time we certainly uh, we certainly dived into product operations as a function is already there from the moment mm-hmm. you start building products you have product operations because there's things you have to do as part of a team and a business. We've already talked, we, we, we then go into when, when's the perfect time to have a product operations role. And there's huge amounts of debate about this and it's not a clear answer. We've probably settled that pure startup probably doesn't need a role. And again, depends on the size and things like that. More in sort of scale up when you're tipping over from startup to scale up. Okay, look, very holistically, that sort of time. And that's very interesting what you've said there, Antonia, is that, you know, in startup and certainly your experience of startup is, look, we don't want process. We just want to get things done. Yeah, we want to get things out the door. Yeah, okay, that's that's great. Because actually, there may be that some process might hinder your ability to just get shit out the door. But you do need some. You will have some, absolutely, even if you don't really realise it. And now we're starting to chip over into um, organisations that have come from startup to scale up. They have got many more people. But how many of those people have come from that startup world and have been there since startup and are now those people that go, we've never had process before. We don't need process now. Why are we doing this? I just want to keep doing things the way we've always done it. Yes, we've got so many more people, um, but I'm quite happy. And that's, I think that's, and certainly that's an experience I have had is, Mm. uh, you know, you've got people that have come from large organizations that have come into this organization that's now moving from startup to scale up. They're much more used to process naturally or, or very, very, very artificially. Um, and so they appreciate that. They appreciate the, the, the where that gets to. But those people, those individuals that have come from startup and know no other way potentially, and they're like, oh, it's very alien. I don't want to do all this. I, want to, I don't want you stifling me. I can't do anything. I don't want to spend all this time on a process. And I think that's a very, very interesting piece then that ties into this whole when, when, when and where does product operations really start to have much more value than 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 anywhere else yeah like it's such an interesting dynamic that startup scale up tipping point and honestly like from a product ops perspective if you get hired at that point and you inherit a very startup heavy culture it's an incredible incredibly difficult path to actually make product ops stick because you really really need to i mean it is a mindset change right and i think we could be talking all day about the different skills and capabilities needed as a product person to succeed in a startup versus scale up versus enterprise because i do think they are essentially different jobs honestly um but making product ops happen 
during that change, during that growing up or whatever you want to call it, like scaling, it's incredibly hard. And it really, really needs deep support from leadership to say, no, this is what our organization needs today in order to continue growing. Yeah. Um, reflect everything Antonio just said there is incredibly challenging. Um, I think I would go to, uh, in a world where Product Ops is already in an organization and are hiring PMs and there's a product manager who's joined, who has come from a startup and has that kind of mentality, there's a reason why the organization has felt that that person's capabilities, experience, um, and way of operating is valuable to the organization. If they haven't already thought about that, then we're talking about talent acquisition and hiring processes, maybe not really being as effective as, as they should be to hiring the right kind of person. Because that person would fail immediately coming in if they have this kind of mindset into an, an org that's probably already scaled, maybe is like 15 product teams. They're not going to get to do the kind of work they did at startups and that they were um, successful doing at startups. So I kind of question that. If, the, if that person is being hired as a reason for it, and it quite possibly is to have that more disruptive mindset and that more creative mindset of I'm going to operate in my own way. And I think as a product ops team, we, you know, as much as we talk about processes and frameworks and practices, you can't, I don't think we're in a place where we can uh, put a stranglehold on everybody and say, mm. this is how we operate. And um, in some cases, maybe, but if we're hiring people like that, it's because we want their creativity and their disruptive nature um, for a certain reason. I think it's for like, going back to the topic of this, when we're hiring product ops needs to know what that looks like. Product ops needs to be, again, not part of the hiring decision-making but understand from product leadership what are the types of people that you want to hire and how might they operate once they get here. If you're hiring someone with that disruptive nature, what part are they all going to sit in? If it's in a place where it's incredibly fast moving, we can innovate quite quickly, maybe it's even slightly separate part of the organization, absolutely hire them and we'll support them in the best way that we, we can. Um, and it, that might be slightly different to the rest of the org. So there, there are some of the things I was thinking about then. Yeah, and, and it's a good point. Actually, this is a really great segue, I think, now to kind of one of our last topics, which is, um, uh, you know, this 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 two-way nature, okay? So we've talked so much today about um, how do we support product leadership? Um, what are the things that we do to help them? Um, but actually, and I think we've all touched upon this, if not today, many, many times we've all spoken before, is the support that we need, you know, the, and the product operations professionals need in their role from leadership um, as well, because there is a two-way street. You know, it is it is virtually impossible, in my opinion, certainly, or very very difficult to do this job well if you don't have that at least buy-in from leadership. And we're not not just product leadership, leadership across the, the business, because we've talked a lot today about how we're supporting product teams we've not even touched about that support going across the rest of the business as well which we all know that it does but if we don't have that buying and absolutely really that kind of that real backing that support that very public support for what we're trying to do it's it's a virtually impossible task to to kind of tell these teams or work with these teams try to instigate improvement change change that's needed um even if we've got a lot of buying and they see a lot of, you know, the advantage this brings, you will always have those people that just be like, well, no, because, you know, I've got to go and do this and I'm not going to listen to you. You're not my boss. Um, 
you get into all of these sorts of questions and these mentalities. And then it is absolutely vital that you have that support from product leaders to, you know, on, on this venture that you're that you're embarking on. Yeah, absolutely. I think I was very, very spoiled in that my very first full-time product ops job. Um, we had a group CPO for whom it was just so obvious that product ops was necessary. Like it, it wasn't even a discussion, right? It wasn't mm. even a thing. He just went, well, like, yeah, obviously we need product ops. Um, but I think beyond that, it was also just very much like we were such close partners and he was using the terms we were using and vice versa, right? Like we were really enabling and complementing each other. And we were one united front about this is how product work gets done in this organization. Slightly different experience. I had a senior leader in the C-suites that hired me and was very passionate about it, but also very aware of all of the issues the organization had and very clearly saw what product ops could do for the org, but nobody else really did. Yeah. And then that support, even though that support was there, it wasn't enough. It actually didn't meaningfully manage to change anything for me as an operator personally to say, no, I have this executive buy-in, but if all the other executives go, eh, it didn't really matter, you know? Um, so it's it's interesting. Like support is great, it's fantastic, but there there needs to be a consensus at the highest leadership level. Yeah. Yeah, we talk a lot about enablement, right? And we talk a lot about how product ops enables the org, but we also need enablement, right? That support yes. comes through leaders in, in most cases, enabling us to do the best kind of works we can. Um, I think, you know, th there's that common saying that, you know, great leadership is fighting for the person in the rooms that they're not in. And I think that's like super mm. important that our product leaders, when they're talking about how the organization is operating, the product organization, I mean, is that they support and enable us in those other places as well in those other rooms. Um, I, I find this, this kind of like line of thinking really interesting because it really also depends on how you're brought into that organization. Why have you been brought in and what are those people saying while you've you've not even joined yet and if product leaders are saying um this person is going to come in and be my partner to think about how the org operates that's very different into product ops is joining soon don't worry about your documentation uh, frameworks and mm -hmm. templates there's going to be someone that comes in but then you come and join as that partner at the, at the highest level with the the highest person in product and you're not doing the the documentation templates you're not doing some of the more tactical things and there's a mismatch of understanding between the product teams and product managers and product leadership um i've definitely had it multiple times before where um product managers have given feedback not directly to me but uh, to the to the line managers like head of product product director and saying i do not see the value in product operations they are doing nothing for my day to day and that's true because actually I'm operating at a level where I'm trying to shift uh, organizational understanding of product practices and development. Uh, and if I'm operating that, at that level and supporting the uh, leadership, the product managers, the product teams are not going to see um, shifts on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. They'll see it on a quarter-to-quarter -quarter basis. Um, and, and being very clear on that and allowing to be enabled by product leadership, they have to be clear on that as well before you join and during probably the, the, those initial few months of, of you trying to do something. Um, 
And if that isn't there and if that doesn't happen, there is going to be a mismatch and that is going to be quite detrimental to the future success of product operations as a function in the moment and obviously future product operations uh, teams and people as well. I love that. And, and actually, you know, the, the, just I want to pick up just before we kind of move towards finishing uh, of a piece you've just said there about um, particularly, I suppose, other parts of the business kind of seeing the value that you're bringing, uh, not directly to, you know, the product leader you're partnering with. I mean, you know, I guess even within some of those teams, if the if the role has not been set up right, about kind of seeing that value, seeing that ongoing value. Um, and a question, I guess, to both of you is, um, you know, is there a case there for being very transparent with what you're doing, what you're working on, um, you know, the, the value that you're hoping to bring, uh, you know, with the various changes and initiatives that you're working on across the business? Um, just because, you know, you might be working on something on a particular area or a particular project that, okay, a very longitudinally will have, you know, impact for everybody, but actually has a direct impact right now, very, very, very short term on one particular area of the function of the business. And so other parts of the business may well be going, okay, well, you know, I haven't really felt any any benefits yet. We're still kind of suffering with this and this and this. Um, actually, if you're quite transparent with that across the business about what you're working on, the values and then what you're going to be bringing here, does that, does that would, would that help? Has that helped when you've, if you've done that? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like chuckling along to that because absolutely. Um, I think looking back over feedback I've had over the past um, couple of years and in different organizations I've worked with, some of the most positive feedback has come from business partners, from stakeholders external to product development saying, thank you so much for helping us to communicate better with the product teams, to understand the work that they're doing, to understand how product development works. You know, we work in modern tech orgs where... And, and I think given the kind of experiences we've had, we, we really understand how product development works. And it's sometimes a bit confusing that other people do not understand that, that are outside of the tech org. And making those connections and, and kind of, uh, we used to call it making the work visible. So making that work visible, that product development work to the rest of the org is super powerful. And it might be that in the, you know, those first kind of few months of joining an org that's maybe never had product operations, the way that the product org itself is operating, all you have to do is actually just make that a bit more transparent to the rest of the organization. And that's a good value add. You've yeah. already moved something along because marketing, legal, finance, safety teams can all work and understand how product development is working. And that improves how we do the work that we're doing for customers. So yeah, I absolutely think there's a role in product operations here of being almost like the knowledge keeper from an operational perspective come to me and i i will know someone who's doing a thing i know how it's working and i can open that up to you and i think that's super valuable yeah and i think the the second dimension to that is really also being transparent about what product ops will enable in the long run right like this this is the product ops strategy and i think that it's also storytelling right how do you get people excited about your product strategy well you will help them understand the desired end state, right? Whether that is of a customer or of the market or your company. It's the same with product ops, right? Like I am doing these three things this year because next year that means we will be there, right? Next year, that means you are this kind of product manager and it is a long way away from where we are today. Like, let me help you get there. Like, let me help you grow, right? And I think that's, it's also super instrumental in helping people 
overcome that kind of initial pain when somebody potentially new to the organization comes in and asks you to change your behavior. And that's not always something that's favored. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to be honest with you, I think we've just written the next episode of this, which I think is, <laughs> is uh, how product ops um, supports the wider business how, and, and that interaction, or more, more importantly, with the wider business, because I've long, I've long, long said this, and I, th- I absolutely echo what Chris has just said there. The absolute best work I feel that I did at my last organization um, was working with the sales teams, was working with the customer mm-hmm. success teams, you know, and like most of product ops, it wasn't anything massively complicated. Um, it was stuff that was really impactful for them so that they could get on and do their jobs, the jobs that they're paid to do. And they were being stifled a little bit with a lack of information, a lack of transparency, lack of understanding. Um, absolutely, hands down, the best work that I felt that I did, the best outcomes, the best value was working with those particular teams, not necessarily directly the product teams. So I think this would, I think this would be a lovely piece to kind of talk about. Um, um, next time um we're just about out of time i want to come to each of you with kind of your final thoughts on this overall topic of partnering with product leaders that being that product leadership partner so antonio i'll come to you first yeah i think for me this is what product ops is i know that that's not true for every product ops person existing right now i know that's not true for every organization thinking about getting product ops but If you hire product ops to be product management assistants, you will never get the full extent of the value we can bring to your organization. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Same thoughts. Um, Again, given my experiences, if you're joining as a product ops uh, first hire, you need to try and stay at that strategic level as much as possible. It's really easy to be the moth to the flame and try and solve some of the tactical issues that the product teams or product managers are telling you about every day, every week. But you have to try and remain at that strategic level if you want the big product organizational shifts that are required, which is probably why you've been hired in the first place. I don't think I can say anything else to both of those. I think that's absolutely spot on correct is that this is the the, the best value comes from that, that strategic work with product leaders um, and, and understanding what it is that they need. You know, product ops, we've well established as well, it's different in every organization. The approach is different in every organization. Um, and so when all, th- all three of us now actually now are, are, you know, are independent consultants working on this, you know, one of the things that we are doing first of all is kind of like, well, what are your problems? Where, 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 where do you want us to start? And actually working with product leadership to understand what their problems are and, and, where, and where, we, where we can best help them uh, more than anybody else. Um, Antonio, Chris, once again, thank you so much. Um, um, thank you to uh, everybody watching as well. Do please uh, contact, uh, get in contact with any of us uh, via LinkedIn. Um, thank you to the Product-Led Alliance for hosting and facilitating this continuing podcast series. Um, thank you to everybody watching um, and hope you got something useful from what we were talking about today. Um, and we will all see you again on the next episode of the Product Ops Chronicles. Thanks, everybody.